0: Welcome back to The People Show. Coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Satyar Shah with Biknazar. Always get in touch with us on our Dunbar Lumber Text inbox 650-650. The big news of the day. Canadian men's soccer team head coach john herdman has left the program to join tfc and to talk about that and more we have alex gongay ruzik joining us from one soccer and, and alex thanks for making some time for us today and i guess considering that this has kind of been talked about for about a week or so it's not a big surprise but when you first initially heard that john herdman might be leaving the canadian men's soccer program what was your reaction
1: yeah i mean at first it was it was a bit of a bit of a surprise I think it was one of those where knowing John Herdman and we've seen this kind of page out of his playbook before it kind of felt like a bit of posturing in a sense The you know okay of course a a job like the Toronto FC one would be enticing for for a coach I mean you know we we just see the money that's been put into that team and, and the opportunity there but it felt like Herdman his goal was to stay for 2026. We saw it early in, the, uh, early in the year when there was the whole New Zealand chatter. That one as well ended up kind of being a bit of, you know, chatter didn't end up leading them much. You kind of thought, okay, maybe it was just deja vu, uh, different scenario. Of course, Herman has been very vocal on what he believed uh, he wanted from Canada soccer in terms of just resources, support, et cetera. So that's kind of the initial thought. But yeah, as obviously, as we see now, uh, there was a, a lot more legs to it perhaps, Maybe the discussions Herdman had with Toronto ended up being a lot more fruitful than he thought, and all of a sudden it leads you to a situation where kind of almost out of nowhere, it just dropped today, and you're like, wow, it's actually happening, and Canada's going to have a new coach, and Herdman's going to be coaching TFC. Is this a bigger
2: statement about uh, John Herdman, or is this a bigger statement about the Federation?
1: Absolutely the Federation, 100%. I think it's something where... Look, Herdman, uh, you you would understand if he'd want to make that jump to the club game. He's been in the the international game for so long, uh, dating back to the New Zealand women's team, the Canadian women's team, the Canadian men's team. And you saw it last year with that interest that he was getting. You saw uh, from, you know, from any English sides in the championship, et cetera, you saw that interest there. You wouldn't blame him for wanting to have a go at this. But the fact that he's leaving a job where you're guaranteed to go coach at a World Cup on home soil Uh, you know, an up and up and coming program, young players some top players. And the fact that you're leaving a job like that to go to the instability of the club game, especially a job like TFC, that's a very volatile job. I mean, you just see the state of the the club right now and, you know, all the off field turmoil. I think that is a big indictment of of what the scenario is at the the Canadian Federation level, because, I mean, I don't think there are many managers that are leaving a job like that unless there's a lot of problems off the field, which, as we know, there are.
0: Well, and I think you know, I think it also is a bit sobering for everybody following uh, the, the national team programs that if the coach who was so uh, all in on this program and was talking, like you mentioned at length and for months and years about we got to build towards 2026 we got to build towards 2026 that's our launching off point that's the moment where we're truly going to arrive and he's not going to be there I think what it does is it doesn't instill a lot of confidence in where the head federation is is heading and if the leader of the program in which in many ways a head coach is if he's jumping ship how does that make the top players feel that are part of that program
1: yeah, no, it, it's something to, to to consider, and it's I, especially yeah. You look at the players' perspective, you look at the fans' perspective. I don't think you are really, if you're looking at it from the federation perspective, I don't think you're looking at this situation but like it's it, it's never ideal for your head coach to leave uh, this soon to 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 a home World Cup. Of course, as we know in this game, firings and and all that sort of stuff happen so often. But the fact that Herman's leaving of his own accord uh the way he is, yeah, it is absolutely concerning. And, and you look at the, the, from the player's perspective, this is a talented group. This is a group that uh, should be heading into 2026 filled with confidence. And I think based on all the, the federational level, uh, from, from all the that what's been going on on the federation side, I can't imagine they're feeling very confident right now. I mean, they, they'll they want to head into 2026 in the best stead possible. And uh, if someone like Herbman is already, you know, looking elsewhere and, and jumping ship, so to speak, I mean, the player's, well, they can't really go anywhere. It's international soccer. We'll see if this affects, uh, you know, are they going to continue to accept call-ups? I mean, I don't think it is, but you just have to imagine that in their heads, uh, they're going to be thinking, well, where does that kind of leave us? Because, um, you know, if 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 Herbin isn't going to stick around, then can, you know, will Canada soccer? Wh- where do they go from here? Because this is a, this is not a, a typical situation.
2: Will this be an attractive job opening?
1: Yes and no. I mean, any head coach, the you know, guaranteed World Cup mm-hmm. chance to host on home soil. It's absolutely an enticing job in a vacuum. Of course, we do not live in a vacuum. There's also the Federation uh, stuff. So I think that's it's one of those where perhaps some managers will show interest. And then from there will be uh, will, you know, some of the, the stuff with the Federation turn them off? Will they you know, how how are things going to go in terms of you know, negotiating for, for salaries if you're looking at some of the top coaches that might typically be uh, interested in a job like this. So I'd say it's a bit of a poison pill, one where undoubtedly, you know, managers will look at that and and perhaps inquire, but how far some of those inquiries will, will go, it will, it will certainly uh, be up to Canada Soccer, which, based on what we've seen, might not lead very far.
0: Well, and one thing that was was really happening and it's been one, part of why Canada Soccer has had more success especially on the men's level is being able to convince players who have options to represent multiple nations to come and play for Canada. I mean, Youstakis is the big one obviously who came and there's been others obviously they've been able to convince and and make sure they're part of Canada's program. How much of that becomes more difficult now with the next wave of young talent, to players that may have other options are we starting to look? Are those players? Do you think? Do they think? Do they start looking at Canada and saying, as much as there may be opportunity, I may want to be be part of the stability with a tougher federation, maybe than be part of Canada. Do you think this can also hurt them in their recruitment?
1: I, I think so. I think it's uh, th- that's also another big aspect of what you lose. It's again, like we mentioned, a lot of these national team players that have already committed, they're kind of going, they're not going anywhere. Right? It's uh, you're you're cap tied. You're in. Um, Etc. I mean, we can see what happens to their overall commitment to the program. But for those who are undecided, because that's the reality in which we we live in, there's a lot of dual nationals, a lot of players who are considering these decisions. And when they weigh this, these decisions, eh, you know, they're looking at all sides. Uh, of course, they'll be looking at the team that has their heart, and maybe for in some cases that'll be Canada. But also as professional soccer players, they'll they'll look and be like, is this the best option for my career? And uh, based on just how things have gone over the last year Uh, it's going to be hard to look at Canada versus some of these associations that they're um, that they're going up against and say that that's the case. So I think it's something that will absolutely hurt them more than it will help them that having this sort of turmoil and and that hurts because those sorts of young promising dual national players, as we saw with Canada and some of the players they were able to bring in, not being able to recruit those, those those players will hurt you long-term because uh, they can build up your pool. They can add depth, add quality and those are all things that you need to constantly be going after. And, and, and that, that will hurt if, uh, you know, some more dual nationals maybe look at the situation. Like, is this right for me in this complicated world where they already have to navigate what's going on at club, et cetera? I think they'll absolutely consider it.
2: Obviously, you know, there's there's so much turmoil with the program in and itself. Uh, but but moving forward, um, what is the the rosiest picture that they can turn this into a success? Outside of just his results at 2026, how do they have success from now till 2026?
1: Well, I'd say the one bit of optimism you can have with any coaching hire and fire is that it's just, you know, the concept of coaching is such a volatile idea, especially in the international game where, you know, it's not it's not like the club level where you see direct influence that a coach can have just because, For example, at the club level, you bring in a coach that can stamp out their vision on a team. They can clear out, you know, anyone they don't want. They can bring in the players they want. At the international level, it's different because you're kind of with your set group for the most part. You have to build. You have to make the most of strengths, weaknesses. So I think what we've seen a lot of in international soccer is, you know, sometimes unproven new managers can come in and and make a big difference. I think, uh, you know, the big example I, I would use is you look at Morocco uh, this last World Cup, heading into it, they struggled uh, continentally. Uh, they ended up firing their manager, who wasn't very popular. He was falling out with all their players. They brought in this new guy, of course, Walid Growy, as we saw at the World Cup. He's someone who's only coached domestically in Morocco. He very much fit the unproven bill, but he just seemed to, to click all the right notes and completely turned around Morocco. So not saying Canada's next hire that will happen. Of course, you have to see, but I think international soccer, if you can get one of those uh, hires, perhaps maybe it can be unproven, which helps in Canada's case, if they're not able to, to convince a, 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 you know, a highly proven coach that, that there is a chance that they completely turn around their, their results on the field. But of course, like you mentioned, that'd be a best case scenario.
0: Now, as far as the job that John Herdman is taking, being the head coach of TFC and TFC's had his struggles this year, but we know historically they've been one of the top clubs. They spend a lot of money. They're considered one of the big dogs in MLS. Is this considered, I, I mean, I wouldn't say a step up from the national program, but what type of step do you think this is for John Herdman? Is it a good, hey, fail-safe to get out of the situation he was in? Is it a good step forward? What What do you make of him going to TFC?
1: I think this is a good chance to prove himself uh, in the sense that, look, one thing that Herdman, has, his reputation is, is, is ironclad in, in, in the regard is he he can rebuild dressing rooms. He can bring culture. He can bring stability. And I think if you look at what's happening with Toronto, they've had anything but stability. The culture has been, you know, rotten almost. You see all the stories and just the on and off the field, they just don't look like they're clicking. So first and foremost, it's a chance for Herman to prove, be like, look, I've done it at the country uh, international level. I can do that at the club level. And there's also a chance for for him to prove that he can manage at the club level. Cause it's like when he made the jump from the, you know, from women's over to men's. There's a lot of doubters being like, ah, oh, he could never make that jump, and he proved. Look, it's, you know, it's coaching. It's, you know, there shouldn't, there isn't a difference between the the women's and men's game, and, and in that regard, well, now he's a chance for him to prove that. Okay, yeah, the differences between international and club game shouldn't be uh, as big of an issue. So I'd say it's one of those where, yeah, it's maybe not a step up in terms of okay, you're heading to Europe, you're heading to a, a club like that. Um, But this is still a chance for him to prove that, hey, I I can do well at the club level. And as we've seen, more and more MLS coaches are getting looked at uh, from abroad if they do well. So maybe this is something where he sees this as a good stepping stone to maybe something even further in the future.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, he's shown some decent acumen, and I know he would love to be a coach of of a big club in Europe, and perhaps he's one step away from doing that. Alex, great stuff, man. We appreciate you giving us some time on the breaking news day here for uh, John Herdman leaving the Canadian program, but we look forward to your coverage on one soccer. He is Alex Gongay-Ruzik. Thanks for your time, man. Awesome. Thank you very much, guys. Pleasure as always. Uh, Great stuff. Uh, Good insight into what's happening with Canada soccer and what is next now that John Herdman has left the program. Uh, all right. We have a lot of reaction on the text inbox, as you would imagine. You know, uh, Krez and Kotlin has been game giving up a lot of texts. You know, he's very passionate with his ties with Vancouver FC and any, all all things soccer. And says, don't forget that Sam Adekube also declared for England before not getting called up and then chose Canada. So Krez have- has been
2: sending in every guy that has uh, chosen Canada. It- yes, into the inbox,
0: and yeah, and you know, yeah. the point was before, like, hey, they shouldn't worry about trying to recruit players from big nations. And was mm-hmm. like, well, they've been able to recruit from the big nations, and what you need, like. Your head coach, in many ways, is is the salesman that represents your program, mm-hmm. especially for for soccer teams. I mean, what do you see in 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 big soccer transfers? It's always the manager that has to talk to the player about mm-hmm. coming over. It's like, yeah, we're going to offer you money in the contracts, but the conversation with the manager is usually the thing that determines one way or another whether a player truly wants to go and Role, join the side usage, or not. usage, future. All that. It's a yep. bit different. Like I know in, in hockey, you kind of have the GM and the coach, and you have that too in soccer, but oftentimes... The man who makes the decisions behind the bench, so to speak, oftentimes has a big say and a big part of the recruitment when it comes to bringing players in. So it's a massively important position and one that's now very much in flux with John Herdman leaving the national program. Uh, great insight, and we'll get to some more soccer talk a bit later in the show. I mean, I have some takeaways from the EPL. I know you do as well. That's for the last segment in the show. We'll get to that, but let's go from footy to football. I know our good friend Silver and Black Canuck is dying for some NFL talk, and we'll have some more at 3 o'clock. We're going to dig into more NFL talk, but we'll get into some right now as well.
2: Hey, by the way, real quick today, uh, debuting today on our airwaves at 11 o'clock every day across Sports Night Radio Network, fan check down. Our okay. uh, friends Donovan uh, Bennett Matt Marchese, uh, New new show which you'll hear every day at 11 o'clock after uh, the Jeff Merrick show and that returns as well here on Sportsnet 650.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, looking forward to that. Having Hey, I'm all for NFL mm-hmm. and football content. So uh, looking forward to that show and at 11 o'clock, like you mentioned, it's a good one. You know, I know people get upset about the Raptors show, but what about the one about the football show? Making its better? debut today here Yeah, on our Airways. Yeah, airwaves. Good stuff. Good stuff. On the NFL, I mean... I'm geeked up. I will say this though, like two weeks out, we're ten days away. Basically. We're finally ten. Yeah. We're finally what, like almost two weeks. Yeah, thirteen days, whatever it is away. No, not even Thursday kickoff. Well, I guess you're right. Thursday, it's twelve yeah. days away. Yeah, twelve days away. We have Thursday kickoff next Thursday. The NFL season finally begins. The preseason is just too long. It's just way too it's long. Fine. It's fine. It's fine. I mean, it started what like, because uh, there was a Hall of Fame game this year. The Browns played uh, in the Hall of Fame game against the Jets. So they had four preseason games because of the Hall of Fame game. And they reported, what, July 19th or 20th or whatever it is. So it's been a, a good month. It's like a month and a half. And it's finally over almost. But as always, there's lots of intrigue. About the player players who are in the most important position, and that is quarterback. And you know what? We'll get into um, more or, or or I'd say more in depth combos about this coming up at noon. I mean, coming up at three o'clock. But one thing I'm really fascinated by is this group of rookie quarterbacks this year in the NFL. And as always is the case, pick. Not all of them are going to get through the entire season. Number one, healthy or being the starter the whole time. Sure. But I mean, you start looking at the rookie quarterbacks this year and first year starters this year. It's a very intriguing list.
2: I'm. Uh, I, I've said this before. The, the the state of the league is very healthy right now because of the depth of quarterbacks and also the the, the plans at quarterback. Right. Everyone feels like they're in a two to three year cycle. I would say at least about 25 teams feel like they have their guy that are willing to try it out. And even the ones that you're not overly thrilled about, they've at least shown enough promise. Like Daniel Jones, like look, they, they made the playoffs. They won a playoff game. You can say, yeah. I can understand why someone will buy into it. I have my – I have my doubts. Yeah, yes. I, I do. But, again, similar to what we are talking about, he earned his opportunity to keep trying to grow. And so you're going to give that to him. They've, they've paid a lot of money. But there's, you know, twenty to, I would say, close to twenty five teams that feel like they have a plan at quarterback, and a lot of those are going to be young guys, whether it's uh, it's rookies or guys uh, getting their, you know, first primary week one opportunity. There's a lot to be excited about.
0: So let's break this into the rookie starters, and then we'll get into some of the, you know, first mm-hmm. year starters from week one, because I mean, Brock Purdy. Came in late last season. Yep. But I'm talking about guys that are starters for for the beginning yep. of the year. Like this is your first you year. You come day in one. and the
2: team has built the plan around.
0: Yeah, you. you're the guy this year, right? We'll get to some of those. But so, uh, you have Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Anthony Richardson. Like those are the three quarterbacks, yeah. pure rookies. Now I, I know Will Levis with Titans, and maybe mm-hmm. he has a chance. But hey, he might be behind Mal- Malik Hooker right now when it comes to um, uh, you know quarterback hierarchy behind uh, Tannehill. Malik Willis. Starting. Malik Willis. Sorry, Malik yeah. Willis. Malik Hooker is the playing safety in playing Dallas. safety in Dallas now. He's never he's never been the same after that injury. I got to say, but but nonetheless, let's start with those rookie quarterbacks. Which one do you think Bick has the best environment to succeed this season? Bryce Young with the uh, Carolina Panthers, C.J. Stroud with the Houston Texans, or Anthony Richardson with the Indianapolis Colts? Uh, can I say none? You got to choose one. You got to choose one.
2: I I would have said Bryce Young coming into the the season. Yeah. I may have overrated the offensive line. That line is, is. I'm a, bit a concerning. little bit
0: worried. It's a bit concerning, and and I mean, and the thing with with Bryce Young, as we all know, he's not the biggest guy. Yeah. So this matters, and he's and, quick and athletic, but he's not. He's not a super athlete. It's like, is he going to be able to be upright? He's not crazy twitchy. No. He can do the thing where he, he kind of does the dead leg and, yeah. and
2: and and stops perfectly and lets the guy run by him, and he's already shown that preseason. But this offensive weapon group either. It, it's very much patchwork because they trade out DJ Moore, uh, DJ Moore, and, and a thought, bunch it, of picks. Too. It, if DJ Moore is there, then it's okay. There's there's at least a a stud amongst a, a sea of transition players. But now they have a sea of transition players. It's like Adam Thielen, DJ Chark. These are pros, pros. Don't get me wrong. Long careers. They can do it. But it's not an overwhelming, exciting group. It's very much upon Bryce Young to create more for this group than it is those players creating on their own. You know, I'm not a Laviska Chenault person. Jonathan Mingo is interesting, but again, a rookie player. But it's that offensive line that I thought was better, and through preseason, it's really left me wanting a lot more. So I would say him, but I'm... Leaning into the to maybe it should be Anthony Richardson.
0: Yeah, that's kind of where I'm going because the I'm, thing I, is, it's like it's not as if that team well, is very uh, exciting. I'm, I'm with you on it. I mean, my thought on the Panthers too is like I keep looking at it and saying, I mean, Hayden Hurst and Miles Sanders. If you're looking for fantasy, they're going to get so many touches. Yeah, they're going to get so many checkdowns and but it's Hayden and drop Hurst off. 100. Like I'm, that's the thing. Great for fantasy if you have those guys. At least they're not getting anywhere. At though. least
2: Indy, it could be. Now, yes. a lot of
0: reports today of
2: of the trade potentially being finalized for Jonathan Taylor. But it could be, like, a guy who's put up 1,800 yards in this league. It could be a Michael Pittman. It could be um, an offensive line headlined by Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly, like, two guys who performed very highly in this league, and Braden Smith. That team was such a disaster last year, and they should have been better. But I... And because he's a bit than More raw than yeah. Bryce Young, but at least there's there's staples that you've seen like these guys have performed at very very high levels. Yeah, in, in Indianapolis, I, and I like
0: um, I like the O line in Carol in uh, Indy better as well than in uh, w- with the Panthers. I know they have some holes as well, but I mean you have a couple of studs. You have Quentin Nelson, maybe the best guard in football. So they have something on the O line. I think that can help out. And Richardson is such an athlete as well that I, I think he can figure some things out. And I kind of I don't mind their receiving options. Like I mean, Michael Pittman you mentioned. Even Alec Pierce obviously uh, has a little bit of talent. And the guy who's getting a lot of love, especially Reggie Wayne, who's one of the coaches with mm-hmm. the Colts, is Josh Downs, a rookie receiver who um, who Reggie Wayne has numerous times has has said numerous times already that he's the best receiver and he's a big fan of what he can do. So I kind of I kind of like their roster better than a number of other teams. I mean. I mean this is a team that we thought was going to do a lot better the last couple of years and really underachieved. So I think they're probably set up for success more, but I do also see some of the pitfalls. But CJ Stroud and the Texans? Are we kind of are we underrating the Texans a little bit? Because could their defense actually be pretty solid?
2: Their defense is the one that you get excited about, right? right? They have a good
0: defense, which can help, you know, their offense, obviously.
2: And the thing I actually like about the trade that they made for Will Anderson Jr. is there's no projection needed. Like, Mm -hmm. your expectation is he gets eight sacks this year. He's plus-plus at the run game. And then you throw it with the secondary that they're going to have there with um, Stingley, with Petrie. They've they've built a very, very solid uh, back end to that defense. And is that a thing that kind of keeps them in games? And look, they're they're, at least have pieces along the defensive line. Sheldon Rankins comes in, uh, who's had some success in this league. Um, There's reasons for optimism in Houston. Uh, It's just, what's that offense going to look like? The offensive line still a lot of work. Uh, You have one premium stud, uh, and Titus Howard is is nice, but the, the acquisition of Shaq Mason hopefully goes a long way. But similar to um Carolina it's like okay Robert Woods Noah Brown it, it's it's a lot of hope and, and Dalton Schultz Schultz it's a lot of hope on Nico Collins taking a step by receiver out of Michigan
0: yeah he had um, a good year he's last couple flashed. years he he's he's has moments but is he actually a top receiver you know I know again mean? i've got
2: hope but it's it's still a step away from being where you probably want it to be.
0: Yeah, it still is. Uh, I know Robert Woods had a tough year last year, but at least a steady thought. Know, Can you play in a slot a little bit perhaps for yeah, them? Can do some things for them? Out a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I know we talk so much about those two teams, really. I mean, Bryce Young gets talked about a lot and we talk about Anthony Richardson, but even though the offense isn't set up, I just wonder if the environment around CJ Stroud might be the strongest overall. And that's kind of funny to say about a, a lackluster Texans team. The problem is, it's 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 the Texans.
2: Yeah, that's I me. Mean, that is that's the problem. The problem. That is the problem. They've been so dysfunctional for so many seasons. It's the Texans. I'm not buying into it. Okay.
0: Uh, before we get out, we'll get into more. We're going to talk more about first year starters like like uh, like Jordan Love, of course, Desmond Ritter, and, and some other guys, uh, and even and Brock Purdy. And we'll get into some quarterbacks who might be on the verge of losing their starting job already. And we'll <laughs> talk about that coming up. And that'll be for three o'clock.
2: And also in the three o'clock hour, we'll have an announcement on the People Show Fantasy League as well. Ooh, I know I'm a lot excited. of interest. Uh, we've been trying to jump up uh, what the prizes are going to be, so we'll have some uh, announcements on that and uh, how to enter. We'll do that in the 3 o'clock hour as
0: well. I love it. One question I have for you on the Texans running back before we get out, Damian Pierce. What do you yeah. think of him? I was impressed by how he played last year. Real running back, man. Yes. Um, like, I, I
2: know you and I have always talked about like the guys that are more like bruisers styles, and are, are they better suited to – Carry on and leave. Like, I'm a pro Nick Chubb guy over a Saquon Barkley guy when they were coming out because you could just see like the natural contact balance and all that sort of stuff. Damian Pierce, you know, he got likened to Marshawn Lynch a lot, Uh, Javante Williams, that kind of style. So uh, there's a lot to be excited for Damian Pierce, but they do have a veteran backfield as well. Yeah. Uh, They bring in Devin Singletary and uh, Mike Boone, who's always been a. Uh, metrics Darling, I believe. Like, yeah,
0: uh, you know, third down back comes in, yeah, does some stuff, like helps him out a little
2: bit. Damon Pierce, uh, a lot to be excited for.
0: Well, that's, that's the kind of thing I'm wondering about because it's like, hey, you can look at it and say, hey, maybe it'll be kind of a running back by committee or is he going to be the guy? Because if he's the mm-hmm. guy, that could be huge fantasy value mm-hmm. for Damien Pierce, especially with a new look offense and a talented quarterback with CJ Stroud behind the helm. All right, uh, great stuff as always. It's Satir Shaw with Bick Nazar. Coming up next, we'll get into some Seattle sports talk. The Mariners, well, they're creating some distance between themselves and the Jays in a wildcard spot, and they're doing so well that they're even out of the wild card picture. They might win their division. We'll get into that and also what's happening with the Seahawks. That's next on The People Show. <laughs> People Show coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. It's Satin Bick Talking all things sports today. Some Canadian soccer news. John Herdman leaving as a head coach of the program. We've talked about that quite in depth. Obviously, always some Canucks talk going on as well in this market. But now it's time for us to turn our sights to what's happening in in Seattle Tim Booth is joining us from Seattle's AP Sports writer you can uh, also check him out on Twitter at, at by Tim Booth and Tim thanks for making some time for us here I mean uh, what do you make of the Seattle Mariners team it seemed like a few weeks ago that hey listen they, it's around the trade deadline maybe they should be selling maybe T is on his way out Julio is struggling and then lo and behold not only have they created separation in the wild card race they're now currently leading their division what do you make of this turnaround by the Mariners
3: um, I, we're seeing basically the most remarkable 50-game stretch this franchise has played in 20-plus years. Um, kind of what they've done really since July 1st, but, but more so since um, just after the All-Star break, has you know, completely changed the perception and, and the expectations um, of what this team potentially can do. They finally are starting to get their offense living up to kind of what the hope was before the season of what it could be. And their pitching has remained, you know, exceptional. It's, it's always been the strength of, of this team with, with how, deep it's, um, how deep its starting staff is and, and how they seem to just be able to find guys to come in and, and throw innings out of the bullpen. Um, and it's all come together where they have played just really, really good baseball now going on six-plus weeks. And you couple that with the struggles that Texas has had and maybe a little bit with what Toronto has had in the wild card race, and all of a sudden you look up and here they are in the in the middle of a of a pennant race in in at the end of August that I don't think anyone really thought was going to be the case at the end of June. Um, so it's it's a really surprising turnaround, and and it's it's made coming to the ballpark a, a lot of fun lately.
2: Uh, you mentioned the offense kind of turning around, and, and someone like Teoscar Hernandez, They looked there's four home runs in the past week, but the catalyst for it all, setting it all up for everyone else too, is Julio Rodriguez. W- what changed during the season that this flip happened so fast and so quickly for, for this player? Like Usually we see the, the, the positive regression go from year to year. This was like, hey, mid-July, we're back into it for Julio.
3: Yeah, I think it's something that that manager Scott Service pointed out after the All-Star break got done. But I think there was a lot of pressure on not only Julio, but a lot of guys in this lineup to try and make the All-Star game because it was here. You know, that that idea of in 2001, the Mariners had eight or nine representatives. I don't remember the exact number in the All-Star game the last time it was here. And so I think there was this outside pressure that some of those guys felt of like, hey, we need to – we need to go out there and have a great first half because this team is traditionally terrible at the start of the season. Um, We need to go out there and have a great first half and try and get ourselves into the all-star game. And then they didn't, they all seemed to be pressing. They all seemed to be really struggling at the plate. And Julio was kind of the, the, the prime example of that. We saw him. It felt like every time he was at the plate, he was overswinging and he was trying to hit a five run home run every time he was up when they were, when they were trailing in games. Um, everything seemed to calm down a little bit after the all-star game came and went from here. And I think there was a, there was a certain relief that came with that for, for this team. And I think guys just started to play, just play more free and play, play without that burden hanging over them. And in, in particular with Julio, you know, he's made a couple of mechanical adjustments, a couple of little things in his swing to try and be better on time and, and maybe shorten up when the count isn't in his favor. But, I think what we've also seen is just the amount of raw talent this guy has and that when he puts his mind to it and has the right approach and mechanically is, is on, you know, everything is clicking for him, he can go out and be the best player in baseball or one of the best players in baseball. And that's what we've seen now for, for a month. He's just decided, hey, I'm going to go out and, and, and destroy pitching in the month of August. And because of that, the rest of this lineup has, has benefited. You mm-hmm. see guys like Tay T- Oscar getting better pitches to hit because Julio's on base. You see guys like Cal Raleigh and Ty France getting better opportunities at the plate. E- Eugenio Suarez has picked up his game um, you know, at, at the plate in the, last, in the last month as well. So Julio is the engine or the catalyst that drives everything, and this last month has really been the prime example of, of what he can be for a team.
0: I mean, it is remarkable, what, 29-10 in the last 39. But since August 2nd, since the trade deadline came and gone, they're, what, 19-4 and 4 as far as a record is concerned. How close do you think they came to selling a few pretty prominent players at the trade deadline?
3: It was, you know what, you go, you go back and look at kind of how everything happened right out of the All-Star break. They came and they, they booted a series against the Tigers right after the break. They lost 2-3 to, a, to at what at the time was a bad Detroit team. And then they split four games with Minnesota and guess who came to town right after that? It was the blue Jays. And it was that series, I think kind of tilted things back into the idea of, Hey, we're not going to be sellers and we're going to give this team the opportunity, the chance to, to sort of bust out. We're not going to, we're not going to sell off all these pieces. We're not going to get rid of Tay Oscar. We're not going to get rid of any of our pitching outside of the move they made with sending Paul Seaball to Arizona. Um, You know, they, they kind of kept it together and, and all along, Throughout the season, uh, Scott Service kept saying, I like our group. I think there's, we have better baseball in us. I like our group. I think we have better baseball in us. Throughout the season, that was his, that was his refrain time after time. And like, You hear it enough, and you see them go out and play this maddening 500 ball that they played for the first three months of the season. You kind of roll your eyes at it going, okay, Scott, well, let's actually see it. Well, he's kind of proven to be right with the way they've played over the, over the last month. So, it was, I mean, it was a little bit of faith that the front office had that okay we if we if we don't sell this off, maybe this can take off. Now I don't know if anyone expected, you know, nineteen and four and, and seeing Texas to to falter the way it it has and have Seattle make up, you know, ten games in thirty five in thirty five days or whatever the, the number is. But um, there was there was a belief that this group had more in it than what it had shown um, for the first three months of the season. And, and right now they're getting rewarded for that belief.
2: You know, the truth always falls somewhere in the middle. And, and, you mentioned like the first part of the season, they were, they were hovering around 500 and we've seen them explode here recently is, and I, you know, we were talking about this last week and I kind of said something to the effect of it justifies what happens at the early part of the season, but like what's a truer reflection of who they are? Was it the start of the season or where they are now?
3: I think it's somewhere in the middle, which is a cop-out answer. Yeah. I think, that's, <laughs> I think that's what it is because – well, and I, part of it too is right now they've taken advantage of what the schedule has given them. Mm-hmm. You know, they've played, they played seven games against Kansas City in the last two weeks. They're about to play an, a three-game series with Oakland. The, they're not playing the, the world beaters of, of baseball at the moment. The one thing that they, they can rest on, and it was, it was a truly impressive three days that they had, but sweeping Houston in Houston – with how much of a of a house of horrors Minute Maid Park has been for this franchise, I think was a really significant thing. I, th- I think it really gave this group a lot of confidence, a lot of reassurance that okay, yeah, we're beating up on on you know Kansas City and and San Diego and and teams that are that are struggling right now. But to go into Houston and, and sweep Houston, I think was a re- was a really big deal. Now, I don't think this team is is nineteen and four. You know long term or thirty six and ten, or whatever the number is that they've been since July first, like it's that's not how good they are, but they're they're better than the 500 team team that they were hovering around for the first three, three and a half months of this season. I think they're they're somewhere in between, and if they fall in that somewhere in between spot over these last five weeks, they're going to have a shot at winning the division, especially with the way the the schedule closes for them, where they play their last ten games against Texas and Houston.
2: Look, I the, the thing that's exciting to me is okay. The, the the truth can fall in the middle, and it's not a cop out answer because it's not as if the first part of the season was actively bad. It just felt like it wasn't living up to expectation. Like they went five hundred. It's not like there were ten games below five hundred. They obviously closed the gap on Texas, but they were still a five hundred team. So the the truth being in the middle to me still feels like hey, that's a really good team that can still make some noise come playoff time.
3: Oh, absolutely no this this is the team that. If they get in, I don't think anyone wants to see because of how good their starting pitching is. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, and they're going gonna, they're gonna to, a, in, a, in an ALDS, let's say, let's say they win the division or they, they are able to get to the ALDS, you're going to roll out, you know, Luis Castillo, George Kirby, and Logan Gilbert, and all of a sudden all these other arms that you've brought up this year, whether it's Bryce Miller or Brian Wu or, you know, Emerson Hancock or whoever, they're all of a sudden going to go into your bullpen. And you're gonna have those arms coming out of the, coming out of the bullpen throwing 96, 97, um, you know, late in the game. Like no, no one wants to, no one wants to see this rotation in the postseason. That's what makes Seattle so scary. It's, the offense is gonna is not gonna put up seven, eight runs a game for the rest of the season or into the postseason should they get there. But they might not need to do that. And they got they got a taste for what it could be like last year. Yes, they had the crazy game two against Toronto. Um, of the, of the wild card series. But you look at game one of that series and you look at the three games against, against Houston that they played in the division series last year, it was all heavily based around how well that pitching could hold up. I mean, a a one nothing 18 inning game is the ultimate example of, of what that is. So um, yeah, this is, this is not, this is a team that if they get into the postseason, I think a lot of, a lot of American league foes are going to be anxious about having to, match up against them because of how good that starting pitching can be and has been.
0: I saw you retweet, a tweet from Alex Mayer, uh, Mariner's PR, saying Julio Rodriguez is the fourth center center fielder in MLB history with a 10-plus war over his first two seasons, joining Oscar Charleston, Joe DiMaggio, and Mike Trout. I mean, we've seen some great players in Seattle in the past. I mean, is it ridiculous to say that Julio Rodriguez has a chance to be as good as anybody who's ever played for the Mariners?
3: No. I don't think so. I I think the, the talent, like we saw it with Griffey, you know, when, when he came up at at, at 19, you just kind of knew right away, like this guy is different. And he ended up being different and he ended up being, you know, the arguably the best player of his generation and in the conversation of the best players we've ever seen in in the game. Um, Julio has that chance. Like you saw him, what he did last year as a rookie. And then I think the maturation you've seen, especially in the second half of the season so far, like the, there's a there's a growth process and there's a, there's a, there's, okay, is it a sophomore slump or is it him just, is the league kind of figuring him out? And okay, now what's the, what's the adjustment that he's going to have to make? And clearly he's made that adjustment and sh- and he shows that, that ability to evolve and, and figure out and analyze and, and change what he needs to find success. That's what we've seen in the last, six weeks to a month or a month to six weeks from him. Um, So yes, I I think, I think he has the potential to, to be that. And he's, he's, he's energetic and he's charismatic and he's, he's just got all of these attributes that make him have that chance of being like one of these people that we look at and go, that guy's a face of baseball for not just Seattle and not just for a short period of time, but for all of baseball and for a longer, a long period of time. Like that's, that's what his potential is. Um, now, he has to back it up with what he's doing on the field, but, I mean, if he plays close to what he's done over this last month for the course of his career, we're going to be talking about a Hall of Fame kind of player at, that, at the end of the day.
2: Hey, I don't have the stat in front of me, but uh, did I see Ty France broke a record for hit-by-pitch again?
3: <laughs> he's the, he, the most hit-by-pitches in, in Mariners history, and we're, <laughs> we still have a month-plus left in the season. He's already got, I think, 20, I think it's 27 or 28 now. Um, this season the guy's just he's just a magnet for the ball i don't i don't understand it i don't i don't get it but somehow that guy just constantly gets hit
2: and, and he was breaking his own record
3: right <laughs> yes he he has the top if i remember the stat correctly he has the top 3 marks uh in franchise history for hit by pitches awesome. in, in, in a season so Clearly, clearly, it's a record that he wants to own so for some <laughs> weird reason.
0: Man, you can take a pitch, man. That's, that's, that's tough, man. Uh, Tim, before we let you go, I, I do have to throw a Seahawks question by you as well. I mean, their season opener is still not until September 10, but it's getting a bit closer now. The preseason is kind of in the books. Like, what, What's your general sense of the vibe around the Seahawks as they enter their second season with Geno Smith as, as their starting quarterback?
3: Um, I think there's there's an understated confidence. Is probably how I describe the vibe. Like, I think these guys know they have the chance to be pretty good. Not, we're not talking like, hey, these guys should be the best team in the NFC or even win the NFC West. But I think there's a general feeling of like, yeah, last year no one no one thought we were going to be good, and we ended up being a lot better than anyone expected. And now we know that we can be, you know, we can be that good, and maybe even a little bit better. And if they're a little bit better. Then maybe that opens up the possibility of getting into the into the conversation with San Francisco for winning the winning the NFC West. I think that's kind of the general, you know, the general feel that's come from from that team during um, during training camp this year. Like they they expect to be a ten win team. They expect at, at least they expect to be in the division race. Um, they expect to be in that conversation of who's the who's the better teams. Not maybe not the best, but the better teams. Uh, in the NFC this year, so um, it's not they're not it's something they're outwardly saying too much, but it's just kind of like the vibe that you you feel from them of like okay yeah they we feel like we're pretty good and we'll see what happens starting September 10th, but yeah I we think we think we can go out there and compete with anyone um, anyone in the league and they they very well might be right I I don't know if they've completely closed the gap with San Francisco but I do feel like they have the chance to 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 narrow it, and and if things break their way, maybe they do actually close it this year.
0: Uh, Tim, great stuff, man. Appreciate your time. He is Tim Booth, courtesy of the Associated Press. You can follow him on Twitter as well, at ByTimBooth. Thanks, man. We'll do this again soon. Yep, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, thank you. That is Tim Booth. Some good insight on the Seattle Mariners. And Before we get to the NFL thing, just, just one thought on Julio Rodriguez. I know Seattle Mariners fans have been all over this guy, mm-hmm. right? And he was struggling, you know, earlier parts of the season and now he's really found his game but I mean I, I've always looked at the, at the Mariners especially the era I grew up watching Ken Griffey Jr. and watching Alex Rodriguez Edgar Martinez even it's like Ichiro man, Ichiro it's like man we saw like the best mm-hmm. players ever for the Seattle Mariners <laughs> I like Buhner, but, but who doesn't love Buhner? come yeah. on uh yeah but but um I think what Julio is doing and you kind of see the numbers he's putting up after the first it's couple crazy. years like, like he and it's ridiculous to say, like, he has a chance to go down as the greatest Mariners player of all time. And let's let's keep it the positional players, because, I mean, Randy Johnson at sure. his height, you know, I mean, who can beat that? But, but nonetheless, he's locked in and he's yeah. locked in. I mean, he, he's a guy, like a real guy, man, he's a dude, and he's really putting up some some impressive numbers. And when you have a center fielder who's as good as he is doing everything because you can look at his numbers and say, well, it's not as impressive as it has been in the past. But I mean, he defends well, he's good. Uh, he's good on the bases. I mean, there's almost nothing this guy can't do and in today's baseball world where they look for you know those complete players and people always overrate them just cuz a guy can do a little bit of everything decently mm-hmm. this guy does a little bit of everything like at a super high level
2: he's batting near 400 since like mid July yeah that's why and just thrusting this team that you know we were talking 2 weeks ago me and Richie, me and Izzy we're like hey you know come September a chance to push past Texas and and the way they're surging there's no slowing down right now Paired with Texas going one and nine in their last ten, Seattle going nine and one in their last ten, and they've surged to first in the West, that the wild card conversation of like, oh you know, them competing with the Blue Jays, that's done. Now it's go in the West. Yeah. And it's it's, it's super exciting because it looks like they're gonna be able to surge for for some time because of what they have with the pitching staff.
0: Yeah, their pitching staff. I mean, uh, like Tim mentioned, a favorable, uh, um, a favorable schedule. But mm-hmm. you still got to win those games with a favorable schedule. Certainly,
2: right? right. But like, look, they're just coming off the series with the uh, the Royals. They win all three there. Oakland coming up. Mets coming up. Reds coming up it's it's set up for you to have success
0: yeah and the blue jays well they've gone the complete opposite direction i mean it, and it's funny because you could look at both teams and say they had similar issues good pitching staffs this year mm-hmm. but i mean you know, neither's offense has really gotten going and hey the, the jays had the better record at the trade deadline and they almost got T. oscar hernandez or talking trade mm-hmm. with seattle to get t oscar and and we all kind of looked at toronto's team and said hey they're in a wild card spot they have a solid team It makes sense to go uh, and and solidify this team a little bit, and perhaps at some point they get hot, and if they get hot, look out. Mariners did that. The Blue Jays still have not been able to get hot. And we can sit here and talk about, hey, they have good pitching, they got good defense, the playoffs, that's going to help you out, only if you make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And that's becoming a harder and more difficult task by the day, it seems, for the Blue Jays. What Julio is doing for the
2: Mariners, they need Vlad to do for the Jays. Absolutely. And it doesn't need to be to that level because it's just, astronomical heights that who goes reaching right now but you need to be the one that searches you forward no, and absolutely. it's they've carried it this far again they're 11 games above 500 it's a fine season and they're still putting themselves in a chance for the playoffs although it's much more like a coin flip proposition but you, you've run out of time now if, if you're the jays and they're you're getting ready for the stretch here with like the
0: well, they have thirty games remaining. Nationals
2: right? and, and and the Guardians and all that. It's like you need you needed to win the series against the Guardians. They
0: pretty much have to go twenty and ten, or twenty and eleven, whatever. Mm-hmm. How many games they got? I think they got uh, thirty or thirty one games remaining on the season for them to get to 91-92 wins, and that maybe gets you in. Mm-hmm. And that means you got to play six hundred ball the rest of the way. That's not going to be easy, you nope. know. For so, for a team
2: that sputtered a lot, yeah, it, it just we've seen we're, we're we're watching the Mariners do it, but. At some point, that switch has to get flipped, and it just doesn't look like there's any indicators that it's going to happen.
0: We are going to get into this more on the other side. We'll get into more NFL talk and quarterback talk. We asked them about the Seattle Seahawks. Geno Smith, now year two as a starter, well-established, got a contract extension. But this time last year, it was very much a question of how long can Geno hold on to that job, and he answered that with flying colors. There are a number of first-year quarterbacks, not just rookies this year, that are getting a similar opportunity to Geno. The question is, how much confidence do you have in those quarterbacks getting it done the way Gino did?
2: Yeah, Gino was the one. There was two QBs last year. I was, I was thinking, okay, it's gonna solidify themselves. Daniel Jones, yeah. and Gino. Now, Daniel Jones probably didn't reach the heights I was hoping to to see. He
0: did enough, but though. he did
2: enough to, to keep his job and he, and, and he, get to his credit. Again. He
0: played his best
2: football late in the season yeah, and in the playoffs, hundred percent. And Gino was the one that's like, okay, there there's something here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was an eight-game stretch where it was just unbelievable. You can just go watch the New Orleans game uh, again, and, and he was out of control in that game, just dropping seeds all over the field, going deep late in the half. It was just incredible. So now who are the guys that can take that step this year? I, I mentioned two last year, Gino mm-hmm. and, and Daniel Jones. I'm back in two this year. Okay. Jordan Love. Oh, you're coming around on Jordan Love? I'm I'm all
0: in on the Packers. Whoa, 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 you're coming around on yeah, Jordan Love. I, I, you and I I'm had like fights over Jordan Love I'm during in. draft, man. In. You and I in. fought over Jordan Love and whether he should get drafted in the first round or not. And and the other one is Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett? I'm I'm in what? on I'm in on Jordan Love and Kenny Pickett. So you're in on the Steelers?
2: I'm in on the Steelers and on the Packers. Just just traditionally boring franchises. Forget the hot new thing. Forget the the Lions. Forget the hot wow. new thing. I'm just taking institutional success. I'm backing the Steelers. I'm backing the Packers. And
0: you're not just backing them to be decent. Like, you're backing them to be like, you know, capital G good. Yeah, like... Win your division good. Go
2: push for the division. I, I don't want the Steelers winning the division in, in the, 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 the...
0: The Bengals? The Bengals. But Packers? All they are got what, to... I'm supposed to be afraid of the Detroit Lions? What about the Minnesota Vikings? My Vikings won, what, 13 games last year?
2: <laughs> I got to be worried about Kirk Cousins? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. They lost to the Giants in the playoffs, okay? But... Kenny Pickett did... Uh, all right, all right. He had...
0: So you have more confidence in Kenny Pickett than Brock Purdy with the Niners?
2: Uh, for team success, no. But I think Kenny Pickett's a better player oh, wow. than Brock Purdy. Okay. Like, right. if, if, if Yeah, I just feel like... Uh, I, I think Brock Purdy's one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the league.
0: Well, I mean, he was uh, Mr. Irrelevant. Yeah. So, I mean...
2: Is he, though? Is if, he actually? If, if, if Brock Purdy was released... Okay, If Brock Purdy wasn't playing for San Fran, how many teams do you think he starts for?
0: If he wasn't? Oh, man. Like, how many teams have a horrible start? I mean, does he beat out Baker for the Bucks job?
2: Like, I think Brock Purdy had success because
0: of Kyle Shanahan. And
2: congratulations, you're in that spot, and you execute it well, and you put up stats. But I'm curious how many teams Brock Purdy actually starts for. So you think
0: Trey Lance is still a better player than Brock Purdy? Uh,
2: I, I think Brock Purdy with Kyle Shanahan... Like, in that offense, I think, like, the skill set Brock Purdy has tailors well to Kyle Shanahan.
0: I'm still shook that you like Jordan Love because, like, that's my guy. All right, listen, we'll get into this a bit more. I also want to ask you about Desmond Ritter because I think, you know what, Ritter himself, I don't Mm -hmm. know, but out of all these quarterbacks, save maybe Brock Purdy, does he have the best kind of, like, weapons and— And like institution, I wouldn't say institution because they haven't done anything in the Falcons the last couple of years. But if you look at their Office of Weapons and everything he's got at his disposal, I mean, that's a pretty interesting thing. Can you do something with it or not? We'll talk about that and more as the People's Show rolls on.